Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Sarah Hanshaw with a brand new episode of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. Today's episode is with my friend Eric Pinder, and we're going to talk all about opera. Opera! Just like that. That's what the whole episode is. I am not telling the truth. It is not like that at all. But Eric is extremely passionate about opera. He's been a director. He's been an enthusiast. He has had to sneeze on a pitch whilst in the Barber of Seville. I'm pretty sure those are all things that are true and that we discuss in this upcoming episode. Personally, I was a little bit nervous because I don't know anything about opera, and Eric was coming in hot. He has all kinds of great stories, great information. He tells Cliff Notes versions of some of these plots for these operas, and they are bonkers town. Just absolutely nut burgers. They're such a joy to hear about. I will let you know that a lot of them are bummers, stone cold bummers. None of them end happily ever after, or should I mention, few end happily ever after. Just so you know, even though I think opera is nice and talking about it is nice and all those wonderful things, the actual topics in the operas themselves are bummer town. But interesting nonetheless, and I think absolutely worth discussing and sharing. So I want to thank Eric for opening my eyes to the world of opera. Hey, I've got some good news. I would like to give a shout out to Fran E. Pants, which is Fran E. Pants, sort of like Wild E. Coyote, and I love it. Uh, hey, Fran E. Pants, thank you so much for leaving me a review, uh, both on Facebook and on iTunes. Thank you so, so much. Going above and beyond. Franny Pants. Ba, ba, ba. If anyone would like to follow in Franny Pants's example, go ahead and leave me a review either on iTunes or on my Facebook page. I think you're nice. Or wherever you listen to, uh, wherever you get podcasts. Thank you so, so much. Those rates, those reviews, super ultra mega helpful. Also those downloads and those subscriptions and those sharing. Sharing is caring and we love it. Yay. So thank you so much. Also, I have some really great outtakes on my Patreon page uh, for $2 a month that makes you a patron and that gives you access to your very own shout out and it gives you access to outtakes. I pull outtakes from just about every single episode and the one with Eric is particularly funny. I don't want to give anything away but it does involve tap dancing and bananas so yeah if you want to check that out uh, I'd be happy so pleased uh, if you would like to be my patron. Good stuff there. That's at patreon.com com slash I think you're nice or you can just look up my name Sarah Hanchar as always I would love it if you joined me on Facebook I think you're nice I have fun information little videos I put up there teasers information regarding on what's going on in this episode coming up episodes etc etc you can also find me on Instagram I think you're nice you can just email me at Sarah at I think you're nice dot com and also just my website is I think you're nice dot com so that way you can get to the blog post get to the get to the episode bing bang boom right there you are there is one more thing i am excited to share with you today the day that i release this episode will be the eighth year anniversary for me and my husband p-funk so happy anniversary my love i love you so much our wedding was hella fun we were surrounded by friends and family and we sang and we drank and we danced Holy crap, did we dance. We had the funnest time ever. So it's hard to believe that was eight years ago. And I am so grateful. I am grateful that I I married my very sweet husband, Patrick. He's the best. 
He really is the best, and I love him with my whole heart and my whole butt. And that's the truth. Okay, speaking of butts and hearts, let's get on to this episode with Opera with Eric. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a lovely day, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Hi, I think you're nice. Why, hi, I think you're nice. Let's have a seat and let's have a nice time. I think you're nice. So let's chat, so let's chat, so let's chat. I think you're nice, so let's chat. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Hi, I Think You're Nice. My name is Sarah Hanscher. I am your host, and this is a podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. And today my host, my host, my guest is Eric Pinder. I guess I'm from this town now, so I may be your host while you're in town. Yeah, it's true. So welcome to Orlando. And we used to work together where you were the host and I was a co-host and vice versa. Yes, exactly. So it, it works. It tracks that we are both hosts and both it's co-hosts. It's on brand, as they say. <laughs> Don't the kids still say that? They sure do. Gosh, I'm hip. Okay, good. <laughs> He's the hippest ever. Uh, I know Eric Pinder uh, from Disney. He's a very talented actor and very funny person and talented, lovely angel butt. And um, our, we had a tie between like what he was going to talk about, either hockey or opera. And today we're doing opera. Yes. But I do want to just tell everyone in the world that you and your husband got married at a hockey rink. Yes. We got married before a game, the Orlando Solar Bears. It was lovely. Um, it was great. Uh, we redid the vows. So it was, you know, uh, for better, for worse, penalty kill through power play, you know, uh, <laughs> And uh, they actually, when we kissed, they sounded the goal horn. And we didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, did you get scared? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? But then immediately I laughed because it was wonderful. It was the perfect touch for the end of our wedding to sound the goal horn. You know, yeah, yeah score. Go- score, Yeah, for you real. Know. So it was a great day. And then we had our uh, reception up in a, a box. But we also had people sitting in club section so they could rotate in and out. Um, it was delightful, yes. So we did get married before a hockey game. I love it. Are you guys officially hyphenated Pindersmoots? No, not officially. Okay, but, but you are we, in my we heart. Are, yeah, no, we're known by so many as the Pindersmoots that it's... It seems very... Mm-hmm, the Pindersmoots. Doesn't it? It seems almost like I, I was a baron at one point. And yes. You know what I mean? Yes! Yes, and then, and then sadly, <laughs> sadly, family fortunes, gambling, and women got in the way. Oh, and the, why we're here today, besides the fact that I just wanted to see Eric uh, <laughs> while, in, while, while I was in Orlando. Perfect excuse. Um, he loves opera. Yes. And you are passionate about opera. And I remember, was it last year? You spent February... Like sharing little snippets oh, yes. of opera. So I did an opera a day yeah. that really meant something to me. And uh, and I cheated because instead of doing the whole ring cycle, I did the four operas individually instead of as one. But the ring cycle is four operas. Is it so 16 hours or 14 something? and a half to 15, depending on who's conducting. It's a very long time. Well, you know what? The first one is only two and a half hours, but there's no intermission. So, I mean, it's like <gasps> oh, seeing... No. Oh, come on. It's like seeing Avengers, for heaven's sake. I mean... (laughs) That's true. That's true. You know what I mean? Although you're not readmitted if you go to pee and come back, I don't think, normally at the opera world, but uh, unless unless you bribe the usher. But um, 
Oh, really? I'm, if you leave, you can't come back? Usually, no. Oh. Not until the act. And that Rheingold, the first one, is just done. See, it, and I love this. It's four operas, but Wagner wanted it known as a trilogy with a prologue. And I'm like, then you wrote a two and a half hour prologue. That's an opera, Ricard. Don't. Yeah. An or, opera, Ricard? Oh, Ricard instead of Richard. Oh, Ricard Wagner. Ricard. Sorry. I was being really cool. I just oh, okay. said dick. <laughs> That's an opera, dick. Comma, dick. Makes it nicer because I put a comma in it. Have you always loved opera, or is this something you grew up to enjoy no, eventually? No, I, uh, I hated it for a long time. And I was always a musical theater person. I was a musical theater major in uh, college. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked, I, I heard Leontine Price sing Bits of Carmen, but it was from, you know, just like the big arias of her. I didn't like the tenor stuff at the time, which now I look back, I'm like, how did I not like this? It's like Franco Corelli, one of the best tenors, singing this lovely aria. I, I was... So stupid, but you know it's okay to to mature into things. That's true. Yeah. That's true. It took me a while, but it was uh, because I liked classical music though anyway, mm. and I liked Mozart a lot. But I didn't care for the operas, and uh, a lot of it was the recitatives. Which now, to my dismay, I find out some of the most interesting parts. That's where the plot comes in. You know the so. Here's the thing with me. Opera, I always just thought was so sort of like boring, stand, what they call park and bark, disparagingly now, just standing and singing and, you know, not a lot of moving and whatever. And then I started listening to it. And what what happened was a friend of mine in college who is now conducting in Vienna, you know, like one does. uh, He was our musical director for everything, but he was studying to be a conductor, was a brilliant pianist. And uh, he played for me a Strauss opera, uh, Electra, so based on the Greek myth. I honestly had never been so frightened in my life by this one piece of music. And it it drove home to me how the drama really becomes the music. I mean, the music and the drama are one, but the music, it, it, it's like movie music plus more. Because mm-hmm. movie music, like so many soundtracks are meant to be sort of underneath something, unless it's a big swelling crescendo at an end, right? But opera drives everything. And, and this is one of the things I found interesting, too, when I started directing opera, is that you know, in a play, when you do a play, you and the director work on the pace, you know, and your character, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I feel like I should pause before I say that. Okay, great. You know, you that work is done for you. The composer's done all that. He's, he has a tempo. He has markings. There's there's rests. You know, certain words are repeated. Why are these words repeated? All right. The, you know, they go crescendo. So, mm-hmm. you know, amor, love, you know, gets ca- called out a lot. So how do they <laughs> vary it? You know, but it... it the thing about Electra that I can't imagine it was really my first opera. It's, uh, it's not even atonal. It's bitonal. It's in two keys at once. So there's this, oh. yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, when I started learning a lot more theory and, uh, and learning about the opera and how dense it is, I, the score, it's 105 musicians in, in the orchestra pit. Holy crap. Yeah, it's very loud. Um, it's so, <laughs> so it's. But it's the beginning of the 20th century, too. It's, you know, like 1910, right? He wrote Mm -hmm. Zalame before that, which was a huge hit. And Mm -hmm. Zalame was very erotic, you know, obviously. The the Dance of the Seven Veils. The Veils, Veils, that's what they are, not Well, in some cases, you might want it to be burlap, but, you know... (laughs) It's, it depends on what era, I guess, you're doing it. Okay. But uh, Electra is a completely... Uh, uh, Strauss's father, 
who was actually one of Wagner's horn players. He was Wagner's principal horn player in his orchestra. So Strauss's, Strauss's dad, dad was, was Wagner's, Wagner's horn player. Yes. What a tiny world. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> in, in opera in Germany, yeah. What's uh, still, though, I mean, one of the odds. Also, uh, Strauss's dad hated Wagner's music, and Strauss, for a long time, didn't like it until he was a teenager and then swayed under his spell for a while. Ah. Anyway, but uh, he considered Tristan and Isolde by Wagner one of the best operas. I... I agree. Anyway, uh, Strauss's opera is, uh, his dad said it was like having ants in your pants, you know? (laughs) And I think that's a great description of this tension that is underlying. Electra is just relentless about she wants to kill her mother. Arrest has to come back, and she's obsessed with this, you know? And when he does come back, she's just crazy, you know? And then sings this... It's only an hour and 45 minutes long, Mm -hmm. but it is insane. I've seen it twice, uh, both times in the Metropolitan Opera, two different productions. So one of the operas I dragged Dwayne to last year uh, <laughs> when we went on our trip. It was the only opera that I took him to because I was like, look, it's only an hour and 45 minutes. You can the other bed. alternative was Parsifal, which was six hours. And I wasn't going to do that to him. And I didn't want to spend part of our vacation being like, here's $100. Go play in the city for six hours. Yeah. Daddy will meet you at 1230 a.m. <laughs> Go run around, babe. Yeah. I'll BRB in six hours. Six hours, yeah. It's long. It's really... But and I had friends that saw it and raved about it. And I would have loved to. But again, I'm not dragging him to that. Even though, God bless him, he would have gone. Yes. You know, He's so I take him to the shorter ones. But anyway, I wouldn't recommend Electra as a first opera to many people at all, but it's it's one of my favorites, and it's one that got me into it. I, I call it a gateway. But, you know, my second one was more logical, Puccini's Tosca, which is a very famous opera and done a lot, and it's about an opera diva, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. But the music is much more melodic. Uh, Electra is, you know, it's so dissonant, and then suddenly it turns into... Uh, she, you know, it, it, it blooms, but she's saying, you know, I will kill you and then I will be free and I'm free. The music Ooh. resolves for the second and you're like, oh, you bask in it. And then it goes back into this turgid, you know, thing where it's, again, it's two keys at once. So there's always this tension between it as to what key are you really in? So you always, in certain parts, feel really unsettled because the tonality and, and what we think of, you don't even think of Mozart and harmony and, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of like, bum. Bum, bum, you know, nice, mm-hmm. hear chords, and yeah. this is how this goes and resolves. Electra is completely different from that, you know, and it's... There is no safety. Yeah, it, it, and, and even at the end, when it, when it ends, she, her sister is just crying, Electra, Electra, and it has this thundering chord, and it's the Agamemnon theme. And Agamemnon, it's dun-dun-dun-dun, and that's how the opera opens. But it's like thundering chords. The Agamemnon theme runs through the entire opera, and it's all throughout Electra's monologues. It just, but it it races like a beat. Sometimes it's in the timpani, you know, bum 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 bum, you know, and and just relentless throughout uh, the whole opera. It, it's just amazing to me. And I, I I own a score, you know, like a full orchestral score, yeah. you know, and and occasionally go through it every now and then. And I have eight different recordings of it, you know, and <laughs> it's. It's, it was your first opera love. Yes, exactly. The thing about the ring cycle, like I could talk to you for an hour just about the ring cycle alone. I mm-hmm. mean, it's so in-depth and so... Well, that's where we get the woman in the horns, right? Yes, like, Brunhilde, that's where, yes. That's and that, that famous, yeah. And then the when What's the Opera Doc. Sings. yeah. Exactly. And how that's how kids learn about that. That and Barbara Seville from Bugs Bunny yeah. cartoons, you know, yes! and they learn about opera. Yes! Oh my... Yeah. Yes, Bugs Bunny. 
Bugs Bunny. Yeah, yeah. Kill the wabbit. Kill, kill the wabbit. That's the Ride of the Valkyries theme. You know, uh-huh. and uh, and there's also Tannhäuser in there, and uh, anyway, oh, fun fact: that horse is technically Brynhild's steed Grana, who plays a very important part in the Ring Cycle. Uh, not only as her horse, of course, her warrior maiden horse, but uh, Grana also becomes mortal with her once. Uh, explaining the Ring Cycle in under thirty minutes is insane, but uh, so. <laughs> She defies Votan. No, no pressure. No pressure. No she defies Votan's orders. Um, she's supposed to kill Zygmunt, but she protects him uh, and it pays the price. But Zyglinda, Zygmunt's wife, sister, is. <laughs> again, explaining it. So, yes, Votan has sired Zygmunt and Zyglinda, hoping they would hook up and sire the hero he needs. But. Uh. But as his wife Fricka, who is a goddess of marriage, points out, that is illegal, and he can't do that, and he can't have these other people work for his will. Brunhilde, however, is part of his will, uh, as she explains. Uh, there's so much metaphysics in it too, but it's great. There's it's, there's so much depth. It can be anything you want it to be in that yeah. instance, you know. Um, but it's a story about greed and what people will do for greed and power. And Votan realizes he can't, but Brunhilde knows that he really wants to, so she protects him and protects Zyglinda, who has the hero Siegfried, who does end up, uh, you know, but for disobeying him, he puts Brunhild to uh, asleep, right? So she becomes a mortal woman when she awakes. But because he, as she reminds him, loves her so much, uh, mm-hmm. he sets up a magic fire that only the greatest of heroes can come through, mm-hmm. which of course turns out to be Siegfried. And mm. so then Siegfried and Brunhild, who is technically his aunt, are romantically entwined. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so, kooky opera. Kooky opera. Well, it's, you know, it, again, there's so many things. The, the, the opera plots, sometimes when you explain them, are so ridiculous. And and a lot of them are. And a lot mm-hmm. of them are really stupid. And uh, you just the, you just kind of go, eh. And there are a lot of inconsistencies, mm-hmm. God bless. But it's all about singing. But it's all about the, the, the music creating this drama that... You know, when I was talking back about, you know, the composer has done everything and set things up, there's there's a line, like, you know, Mozart, here, uh, so, caveat, you know. Okay. Uh, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Uh, like, I don't really know much of Handel or Haydn or that early, like, Baroque opera. I'm not as into that. It took me a while to get into Mozart, which is as far mm-hmm. as I go. And, uh, As in, like, back? Yeah, back, back to Mozart. So that's, okay. like, the earliest opera. So I don't do, like, the Monteverdi and Gluck. And I, I've tried. I appreciate it. But it's not something that I obsess with. The Mozart operas I have grown to love, um, they are a completely different type of singing than the bel canto operas of, like, Bellini or Donizetti or Rossini, even. So I don't know what this means. So these are other composers, Italian um Rossini's really kind of the first. Rossini was huge. He was like the Andrew Lloyd Webber of his day. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that there, helps. There, like, I understand who Andrew Lloyd Webber is. There's yes. a very famous story about Barbara Seville, which is one of his famous operas. Uh-huh. And he was commissioned. He wrote so many operas that we don't even hear today, right? He was commissioned for this opera, and it wasn't ready because he was working on some other piece. So basically, they, like, the... <laughs> Yes, seriously. So the, the the people producing, you know, I guess uh-huh. that they pretty much threw him into a room and like brought food and water in until he was done. And he wrote it, I think, in like a week and a half, maybe something like that. Oh, it's 
ridiculous. Yeah. And he just like wrote it spread. And it, you know, it's still one of the best, I think, of, of and this his. this is Barbara Seville. Yeah. Barbara Seville, yeah. It and could... the, the overture is an overture from a completely different opera that we don't even hear anymore. He just reused that. So, you know, back in like the early 1800s, obviously, uh, you didn't have YouTube, you know, and also. What? No. What? No. And carriage rides were insanely difficult. So, you know, people didn't hear a lot of opera outside unless it traveled, you know. So uh, eventually operas did, you know, they went through the Italian system. It's, and there's so much rich opera history, too, because it was such a popular entertainment. And, you know, the, the beginnings of opera are really court-oriented because who can afford it? Today, that's why opera is so difficult and so expensive. You're paying a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, Even if it's a small orchestra, it's a lot of people that you're paying. And musicians have a union. God bless. You know, They need yeah. one. So it's expensive. Uh, plus, then you have the singers. You know, And uh, it, you, you have to get uh, uh, excellent people. But these people study for a very long period of time. Yeah. You know? But so courts were really the place where like, Oh, I have this orchestra. You know, when you say court, this is of like a royal court. Yes, a this royal is, court, or even prince, or yeah, yeah, uh, you know, dukes, even, uh, but mostly princes. Um, famously, uh, Haydn, who you know from classical music, you're laughing. <laughs> you know Haydn. You know that old chestnut. <laughs> oh, he's so, what a rake. Anyway, he uh, he was the uh, Esterhazy, Prince Esterhazy, in uh, what was the Austria-Hungary Empire at the time. Uh, had his own castles, actually. Oh, yeah. plural. But yes, but him. he also had his own court orchestra, you know, okay. and so people would come. And Haydn had to write all these symphonies because there were various parties and things. And mm-hmm. he was expected his orchestra should have a new symphony, you know. So oh. at the beginning, opera is mostly rich people going to see it. And the lights aren't dimmed. Because they don't have that. It's just candles. Mm -hmm. So people are talking during it. It's not like the reverential temple that people like claim it to be today. That only starts like I think really in like the 1900s maybe. So it's like you're at a cabaret. More like you're gossiping with your friends and you're having drinks and you're eating. And and you know like if you read Anna Karenina or even War and Peace or any of these other Madame Bovary. They go to the opera and they're looking at opera glasses at other people you know. And and boxes. I remember the fan thing like how like. Yes you would. Sending symbols, like, if you have, like, three of your fan bones out, like, see you at three, or whatever. Exactly. (laughs) And opera boxes would sometimes have, like, an antechamber that people could not see, that you could go in and be frisky during. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my. How salacious. Yes, it is very. Yeah. It's It's not this, like... I love when people like talk about it's so cultural. It's a, it was always a blood sport, in especially in like Italy around um, like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. There are clacks. I mean, people will travel to boo other composers, rival composers. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. People pay money to boo other singers. Oh yeah. 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 So it's like if the Foo Fighters went to see, I don't know, like. Uh, Counting Crows. I'm just naming bands. Sorry if they don't aren't real yeah. anymore. Like boo. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, going out of their name, way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a blood sport. I mean, that's a thing people don't realize. It was, you know. Um, Damn, that's mean. Yeah, yeah. No, there was a lot of great, really great anecdotes too. And, and Verdi, uh, he had censors to deal with too. I mean, you know, for a long time you couldn't get any anything done unless censors looked through it. So there were certain plots that he oh. couldn't do. Um, Rigoletto. 
is based on a play uh, by Victor Hugo, Le Wasemuse, the king amuses himself. Well, he can't be a king because in this, the king has a murder, you know, kills someone, is lecherous, you know. Mm-hmm. Kings would never do that. Oh. So it has to be a duke in this like fictitious country. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the Duke of Mantua, a country that doesn't exist. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the person instead of a king. So there were things that he fought against the censors. And uh, a, a, a master ball has Unbalo in Mascara by Verdi. There's a famous version uh, because it's about the Swedish king who was assassinated. Well, they were very upset about that. You couldn't be showing a king being assassinated. So the first version, I kid you not, is set in Boston. Okay. Colonial Boston. Oh, Sam, like, when are we? Are we in 1700s? Yes. Okay. So it's colonial Boston. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And people, yeah, with the pilgrim hats and everything. Oh. And like, or, yeah, there's some photos, the questionable oh, outfits. Oh, if, if this is pilgrim hats, then this is 1500s, no? 1600s, 16? maybe something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm he's, trying... he's, uh, Tom is the, he's the mayor instead of, yeah, it's ridiculous. So they're in the Americas. Anything happens there with those monsters. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You no can open cares. it if it oh, makes okay. fizzy right. noises. It's okay. It just did. That wasn't me, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know. I'm not usually this gaseous. You have so much knowledge. I see it coming out your eyeballs and you're it just I know, like, just and one thing leads me to another because there's yeah. just such a rich tapestry of it, you know. Because there's the and history. And the more that I and, and then the more that I study it, um, you know, too the, the fun thing is like operas I haven't listened to in a long time, and then I listen to again and I hear something different. But I, you know, like, it, this is how bad it is. I also have the serious, I, have, I got satellite radio because they have the Met Opera Channel. Mm-hmm. And so they play, like, from their long history of Saturday afternoon broadcasts, they replay them. But also live performances, like, from the Met that night that I can sit and listen what? in my living room. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's uh, lovely. So, yeah, no, it's amazing. So I hear a lot of opera. and uh, But also, so I hear uh, even, like, the same cast, how different it'll be. Uh, I've also been a supernumerary in operas. Now, supernumeraries are the people that just stand there and don't like spear carriers mostly. I actually was holding a torch, but uh, it was uh, uh, Zalame, which is one of my favorites uh-huh. by Strauss. And I knew I would go see all three performances. So, of course, I finagled an audition and mm-hmm. got to stand there. So I got to be in rehearsals and to hear things change in rehearsal or just to be that close to the opera singers as they are going at full volume is just really impressive. And there's an energy. Um, wow. You know, it's it's weird, too. Um, it, being on stage for that it, it is really amazing but uh, the, of course the rehearsals are weird because you do nothing like you're standing there and I we had to stand on a very steep rake for pretty much an hour and 15 minutes so uh, rake for those who aren't oh, familiar sorry, with yes. uh, for, with stages a raked stage means uh, the back part of the stage is raised higher and the front of it is lower so that way everyone can the audience can see you because back in the day they didn't have uh, a raked audience or yes. raked seating for the, tiered, for the audience yeah, tiered exactly. audience um, so that's why there is an upstage which is literally up up, up yep, behind like, everyone yeah, yeah yeah and then so, down stages weird, down but, yeah. lower lower um, just a quick because. Hopefully everyone from every walk of life listens and maybe they're you know, like, I don't understand what the hell's happening. You know, that's too, I think about that all the time. There's so much shorthand. There's so much other language that you sort of have to, you know, people think you have to understand. People don't need to know any of that when they see opera and they don't even need to know the history of a piece. A lot of times now, like Carmen is problematic. You know, the story of Carmen. Mm. First off, she's a gypsy. Now, gypsy is no longer considered an appropriate word, right? So, Correct. But she's the gypsy, and that's mm-hmm. what, you know, so there's that. There's also the, there's the trope of the doomed soprano. Like, the soprano always has to die. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> the trope. 
trope of the doomed Doom soprano. soprano. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, welcome. No. Violetta dies of consumption. Oh. And, uh, you know, Mimi also dies of consumption. Uh, just consumption everywhere. Are, and sometimes in Wagner, they just collapse. Elsa <laughs> just... Just, just she just falls over. It just says she <laughs> she falls to the ground, lifeless. And that's just how it happens. And it's like everything's fine though. That's the mystery of it to me. It's like so and now people are rethinking that. It's like, why does she have to die? That makes absolutely no sense. Like she's been proven innocent. Her brother's no longer a swan. See, that was the thing. Oh, her, her brother, brother was disappeared, a swan. and everyone thought she had killed her. But Ortrud <laughs> and Telramund have turned him into a, to swan. a swan. If I had a nickel for every time my parents were like, "Sarah, did you turn Jacob into a swan?" No. no. Did you turn him into a swan? No. And then he came back, and then I collapsed. He was a swan, and, and I went into a coma for three years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna guess that some of these writing problems are. Uh, just speaking as a lady in the industry, dudes don't know how to write for women sometimes. You're like, you know say what? That. She's no longer upset. She's no longer freaking out. I guess she'll just die? Let's just have her die. Because yeah, I don't know how to write this out. Sense, I don't know yeah. how to write her out of this. Well, in some <laughs> cases, like uh, in Flying Dutchman, Wagner's Flying Dutchman, yes. Zenta like, flies off. No. Well, oh, he then, is actually, yes. Because know. it's the myth of the Flying Dutchman that has to sail around and around and around because he laughed at what did he oh he cursed god as they were going through or defied him i can't remember i should remember the story what to me is important is there's a great aria where uh zenta has a spinning aria and mm-hmm. so like everyone is spinning there because it's fabric you know spinning a spinning wheel right so okay all the women are spinning and she's singing about the dutchman who she's seen in pictures and she's had visions of him and mm-hmm. it's really lovely but you're like girl you need to <laughs> There's this other kid, Eric, that's like good looking and a tenor and is like into you. And you're after the crusty old baritone that like is like on this ghost ship. Okay. I mean, are we good with these choices? You love who you love. And if it's a crusty old magical baron, then that's what the heart wants. Well, then she ends up leaping off a cliff to save him because then by her sacrifice, there's curses lifted. So. Oh, oh. Yeah, see what I mean? There's so much problematic. Yeah. What a raw deal. Same thing with like Elsa. Oh, I just died, even though now my brother's magically back and he's in charge of the kingdom now. But I'm dead now. Because he's my brother and I couldn't inherit the kingdom. She's that's why Lohengrin shows up on the swan that turns out to be her brother. Lohengrin, of course, one of the knights of the Grail, shows up in her hour of need. Um, and it, but I don't. You say these things as if I know what they are. I don't, but I'm enjoying the journey nonetheless. <laughs> there's so exactly. There's so many stories and everything that just get recycled. Like uh, Berlioz wrote Les Troyens, the uh, basically the the Trojans. So it's like okay. Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, like basically in like opera form. So these stories get the damnation of Faust. Berlioz wrote one of those. Gounod wrote a Faust. Uh, there's a uh, Boito. Arrigo Boito was a librettist for Ver- Verdi. He wrote some of Verdi's best librettos, books, basically. Librettos meaning the lyrics. The, the words, yes, the, the words. lyrics, yes. Right, so they're referred to as librettos in the upper world, as they are actually in musical theater, strangely enough. They're called oh. a libretto. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so there's, um, yeah, Boito wrote Mephistopheles, which is the Faust myth 
But it, and then uh, Brussoni wrote Dr. Faustus, which is a 20th century opera. How many Fausts so, operas there, are well, there? Well, I know those are four. There are probably more that I am not... It's like it, the Spider-Man series all exactly. over again. It's just re- reboot only yep. with the, with only the with different, different Faust. Only with different music. And, yeah. yeah, and sometimes <laughs> different episodes from that, that epic of Goethe. Yeah, so. And Faust, he's a guy who sold his soul to the devil for correct. knowledge, correct? Yes, and, then, and also, and the devil tempts him with Marguerite, but he really also wants to get her soul. What? Well, there are several different Oedipus Rex operas, too. Yeah, there are a couple of Oedipus plays. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, again, these myths, these stories get told a lot uh, until you get pretty much to, uh, like, Puccini and the Verismo, which means realism, right? And that's, that's like, um, beginning, uh, like, end of 19th century, beginning of the 20th century in Italy. And there's this whole movement where it's about regular people suddenly, you know? Oh, okay. And so that's where you get La Boheme, which famously is Rent, mm-hmm. right? So La Boheme by Puccini, which is the opera that I always kind of recommend to people, to okay. say this is, I think, a great starting point because it's so beautiful because mm-hmm. it's a staple of the opera repertoire. You know, I mean, it's they, they call the ABCs Aida, Boheme, and Carmen. Oh, okay. So that's the ABCs of opera, that those are the most popular. Well, Aida is insane. Again, you need, like, massive forces. For that, it's a Verdi opera that has elephants, quote-unquote. I've, I've never seen it done that way. But they do have live horses at the mat. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, that freaked out during one performance I read. Well, I mean, they were fine, but, you know, they do that horse thing, and they're like, they just want to get off stage, because probably they're like, I I don't need to be here. I don't need to hear her sing. (laughs) Those notes are, this is too much. I'm a horse. Why is she using that vibrato? Anyway. uh, (laughs) But uh, Boheme, I think, is a great starting point. The music's so accessible, and the story's about young love, and it's sad, but it's sad in all the beautiful ways, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean... Spoiler alert, Mimi dies. Okay, but, yeah, consumption you know, again. Again, you know, uh, it, it, it gets you. That was that was the go-to. <laughs> it's great to see it live and see how Sopranos either cough or don't. Like, that's become a favorite of mine now is to watch, <laughs> like, how Sopranos negotiate that. Same thing in La Traviata where she uh-huh. dies of consumption. Uh-huh. And they're like, <laughs> do, or do they really, like, try to, because you can't really cough. It's really bad for your throat. Yeah. So you can't actually, like, <laughs> you know, you don't want to hack. Yeah. So you have to either do like a dainty thing or like have a handkerchief full of blood that you like show to the audience. I mean, what do you do? You know, I mean, like, how do you? So yeah. you see them like mime the cough a lot of times and you're like, oh, yes, yes. And, and you're like the, the racking. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're like, oh, sweetheart. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Again, there are a lot of opera plots. You're just going to go. The music's pretty. The music sure is pretty. The Force of Destiny by Verdi, right? Doesn't want him to marry Donovano. Donovaro comes in with Leonore. He's trying to get her to leave with him. Father comes in, right? Donovaro has the gun and says, I'm not going to shoot you. It falls to the ground that goes off and kills the father anyway. That's the beginning of the opera. The whole rest of the opera is what happens to people after that. The Force of Destiny. Interesting. Uh, yeah. That's kind of an interesting premise, though. Like, yeah. instead of it, like, building up to that thing, let's have that thing happen, and now let's see what goes yeah, on next. Yeah, and this way, and then the, it, you're hearing the theme always, so it's relentless, you know. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's, it's a great piece. But again, it's a weird piece. It's sprawling and, you know, full of a lot of coincidences. The brother, who is the baritone, is sworn, you know, he wants to kill the tenor because, of course, tenor killed his father, even though he didn't mean to. They end up meeting each other during a war. They don't know it's them. They swear to be bro- blood brothers, you know, and uh, the tenor, of course, gets shot, and he's going to be the surgeons. They save him, of course, 
But uh, he says, here are Burnley's letters. And, of course, the baritone recognizes the handwriting and realizes that that's the man who can, yeah. So once uh. he gets well, then he has a... So side note, too, the baritone gets this great aria at this point about his revenge. Uh, Leonard Warren, fantastic baritone, died singing it. Like, right after singing it, died of a heart attack, like, on the stage of the mat. Like, literally died? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's insane. That's kind of creepy and gross, yeah. But he literally died on the stage, yeah, of the mat, yeah. And now the really demented part of me is like, how did it sound? <laughs> like, Probably amazing. He, um, I, I, I've become a fan of his. I found at a, a like a estate sale. It was a record of him doing baritone arias, and on the other side, sea shanties. <gasps> yes. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, these sea shanties are a glorious hot mess. I mean, they and they have a chorus, the gayest chorus in town. It's like, like these bright, like yo ho yo. I mean, it's so odd. It's like these are not what sailors sound like at all. This is what the Orlando Gay Chorus sounds like. This is a Rodgers and Hammerstein or um, Gilbert and Sullivan pirate. Yeah, exactly, situation. exactly, exactly. And it's it's so wonderful. Anyway, uh, so yes, sea shanties, but the baritone arias are glorious, and he has a great voice, and I I've been a big fan of his and I've heard oh. a lot more be through the Saturday broadcasts. Yeah. So and I've heard him sing that aria. Of course not the broadcast. He died he didn't die during a broadcast, so it's not Thank yeah. goodness. It was an evening performance that was not broad- but yes, he died That's right after that aria. That, yeah. Haunting. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. I I of course don't want to belittle his passing. If I had to pick a way to go as an actor and a music enthusiast giving a performance of a lifetime yep. and then passing away immediately yeah immediately that that might be the only way I'm okay with it actually if we could schedule that yeah, that exactly. would be best if i knew the performance yeah so in one uh gives very revised it and was never actually satisfied with it but so there's a version where the brother stabs the sister uh, bummer yeah exactly and there's one where the sister just dies um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because that just happens. I don't know what to do with this character. Ah, uh, just, just dies. She just dies. Just it's the end of the <laughs> opera. It's fine. Everyone wants to go home. Yeah, we're just... People gotta pee. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, again, and there's so much of it, you know, like, some opera plots just really are, are so improbable. Or things like, like, Strauss's Dear Rosen Cavalier. It's a beautiful comedy. So... The Rosen Cavalier, the Rose Bearer, the, the, the Knight of the Rose, it, it's this custom that von Hoffmannsthal, the librettist, you know, wrote the book, mm-hmm. made up of that someone has to hand the silver rose to a woman who's betrothed, right? It's uh-huh. a lovely little Aww. fake Viennese custom that doesn't exist, right? Sure, that sounds so nice. So it sounds beautiful. It does. It, and it's lovely. The music's fabulous. But so uh, Octavian, who is the Rose Bearer, is played by a mezzo-soprano, right? So... But at one point, Octavian disguises himself as a chambermaid, Mariandel. So it's a woman playing a 16-year-old boy pretending to be like a woman. Okay. So it's it's, it's very Victor meta. It's Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. It's very meta, but it's also sometimes, you know, the mezzo-soprano just has, like, breasts too big to conceal. Mm-hmm. I mean, they bind them down, but those hips don't lie, as Shakira says. Yes. You know, you're like, that is not a 16-year-old boy. But the music, it has to be sung by someone like, you know, a 40-year-old woman. Well, could, <laughs> you know? could it be, I mean, could we make it a same-sex situation? We could. And there's this trio. And the music is so beautiful. It's haunting. Mm. It's lovely. But it is, there's an interesting thing they say, that the Viennese comedy should be played with one eye wet and one eye dry. 
like, okay. And I'm like, so you have a problem with your duct? Yeah. I don't understand. (laughs) One eye wet, one eye dry. But the idea of like, there's sadness, but there's not. You know, at the same Mm -hmm. time, this is sad and melancholy, but these are the way things are and and time moves on. So it's this sort of wistful, bittersweet, but the music is so beautiful and it comes to this lovely chord at the end. And, And Strauss actually wanted to play it at his funeral. Uh, yeah, and three singers sang the trio at his funeral. It's the, but it was a huge hit at the time. There were trains because yeah. uh, it didn't appear in Berlin at first. It was in mm-hmm. Dresden, as I recall. And so trains from Berlin, they had special trains because it was a long opera. So there were special trains that took people from Berlin down there and then back. What? Yeah, so that sort of thing. Yeah, wow. yeah. Again, I mean, people think of it as like, oh, just this boring thing. No, I mean, there was, it'd be like Hamilton now, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. The same thing with like Electra and Zalame. Well, Zalame especially. So many people clamored to see it. Um, there's a famous story that um, I think it was the Kaiser said, uh, and he thought that Strauss would do himself harm with the score of Zalame. And he said, yeah, the harm allowed me to buy a villa in Garmisch. You know, he bought like a second home that's still there to this day, like this beautiful villa. So, yeah. So he knew. Yeah, that he had something. Well, I kind of wanted to touch on the difference between, um, like the difference between opera, operetta, and musical theater, because they are so broadly different. Operetta, not so much. It being sort of like the half sibling for both. Yeah. Um, So we have opera, all singing. All yes, singing all correct. the time. So we have the arias, which are the lilting parts with the beautiful harmonies and things mm-hmm. that we're used to. And like, that's when we proclaim our love or our revenge or what have you. Then that recitative. Well, there are also operas that don't have recitative. that are <gasps> what they call through composed. Whoa. Yeah, Wagner did that. Opera is through composed. Wagner, Strauss, uh, a lot of other people, uh, Berg, a lot of the 19th, 20th century. Uh, John Adams as well. Um, Philip Glass, who've written operas, they all are three composed too. There's no like set recitative or whatever. When you say John Adams, not our president. No, not, not the dead president. president. No, no, no. Uh, John Adams, uh, I can't remember his middle name. Uh, he is a composer and wrote an opera called Nixon in China. Uh, that is one of my so favorite. So he's a modern 20- guy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> he, is, he just finished an opera called The Girls of the Golden West that is about America's West. In California, about female minors and things like that. Yeah, I was actually going to get us to, like, what are some more modern uh, pieces? So so that is one. Written on Skin is the most recent one that was a huge hit. I've listened to it once, and it's, the music is, I would say, thorny. And it's Hmm. something I need to listen to again Mm -hmm. to enjoy more. But there are more operas being done. They just did one based on, you know, the Hitchcock film Marnie. I don't. All right. Well, so they did that, but it's based more on the book that the Hitchcock movie was. Okay. But so it's it's kind of the same story. Um, so, but they just did an opera on that. Cool. Uh, so American. Um, they're being done. They're harder and harder to do because again, they're so expensive, and a lot of times, it's sad. People just want to hear the same operas. They don't want to hear anything new. And Aww. to me, like I. Love no, like I love Nixon in China. It's one of my favorites. One of the things I love most about opera is that, in in some cases, the music will tell you what the words can't, you know, yeah. or at the same time, the the words say one thing, but the music tells you something else. There's a great example in Wagner where, at the in Guterdammerung, Hagen plans to you know kill Siegfried, and when he welcomes him. He sings Hello, Hero, to the tune of The Curse of the Ring. 
Oh, no. So you know, having known that this music stands for evil, that Hagen does not have good intentions, but Mm-mm. Siegfried does not know this music, yeah. right? So, so stuff like that, where music can tell you things that the words can't, mm-hmm. either by contradicting them or enhancing them in some way, you know? Well, I mean, the I, I feel like movies still do this, and we do still feel it intuitively when we're like, oh, something, something's not right. I don't, something's not safe. Something's not okay. Or yeah. like, oh, that didn't mean what that meant. Um, uh, yeah. I, from, from personal experience, I don't have a lot of experience with, with opera. Um, my mom has costume designed a number of operas. There was one that she did, uh, York, which was about a, um, a former slave who actually was a part of, um, uh, Lewis and Clark's, Oh, cool. Adventure South. He's frequently left out of stories, believe it or not. Imagine. Imagine. And so, uh, but it was primarily focused on his journey and his part. And so they wrote this beautiful opera and mom costumed it. And she did all of this deep, deep research about it. So I know like the costuming aspect of an opera. Um, And so uh, those guys, I still think they, they make some, they still, they made a number of operas at Penn State. And at the Seattle Rep, they just did Steve Jobs, the opera. Yes, I know the baritone. Oh, really? That did it, and they won a Grammy for that recording. He's a Grammy-winning artist now for singing on that recording. Yeah. Is he Steve Wozniak? Uh, he plays Steve Jobs. Oh, so he he shaved He's, his head. Yeah. So that's well, his him. head was shaved anyway. Yeah. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, maybe this is just the Seattle version of it. I've yeah, only I don't seen... know. I don't know. I don't think he did the Santa one. I know he did Santa Fe. <gasps> oh, have you been to? We'll talk about that in a minute. But no. so, um, so he so, did it in Santa Fe. Yeah, yeah, how, and then he's doing it? it again somewhere else. I have not heard it yet, uh-huh. so I don't know. I'm curious, but yeah. it won the Grammy. But I'm happy for him. So, side note, that's so cool. He also, I worked with him because I've done operas. As, I've done uh, Barbara Seville twice. There is a non-singing role. I'm supposed to sneeze in pitch. It's the gardener. And he sneezes. Yeah. He sneezes supposedly in, in pitch on rhythm. Uh, sometimes that part's cut. But they need like a gardener, you know. So uh-huh. I got asked to do it twice. And it was his first time singing Figaro mm. uh, in Barber. And uh, so I worked with him. But a couple of times I've he set up a... Uh, hockey pool like fantasy hockey oh, game nice. so he's been in charge of that so i just think it's funny that this and he's sung at the mat and chicago lyric now and yeah and he's done a premiere you know so i mean he's really getting up but he's got a beautiful voice he's gonna be great oh, he's a amazing. really great guy anyway but it's just really funny that you know like oh yes this opera singer that i know who set up my hockey fantasy pool yeah <laughs> that's outstanding oh yeah. i'm so glad so i have a question about languages yeah. um so uh, at the Santa Fe Opera, that's the first time I ever saw a proper opera. That's where I saw Don Giovanni and didn't understand all the horrible things that were happening. I had seen um, The Medium, which I was obsessed oh, yeah. with in high school. Obsessed with it because it's uh, Shim Sham Flim Flam Lady who, you know, she says that she's a medium and that she can speak to the other side. And the sun has fallen and it lies in blood. Oh, Oh, angsty Sarah was like, yes, yeah. give me your your pain and no one understands. And anyway, uh, but that was in English. So Don Giovanni was the first song or the first one I saw and they had teleprompters on the back of each chair. Oh, yes. So I could read in English what they were saying in Italian. Yeah, they do it at the mat too, yeah. And so I wanted to ask you, do you speak these languages when you're directing? Do you know? Well, you have to like, know... 
Um, What's like, happening? well, I speak French, so okay. that's helpful. Um, I know a lot of these operas so well French. now. Oui, je parle français. I forgot. Yeah, uh, Italian and German, I know enough to be dangerous, but I know in most cases, either like the opera I'm doing or when I've directed scenes or whatever, I know the translations. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these operas, um, like Electra, there are parts of Electra I don't know exactly what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to it umpteen gazillion times, but. Um, I don't know exactly what they're saying. I know what's going on. I know mm-hmm. where the plot is going. And there are occasional words that I pick up. But a, a lot of it I don't know. And I, I, it can be a hindrance. I mean, I've seen it twice, both with like the titles that I could look at. And I would stop focusing on that because I was so focused on the music. Yeah. you know. And I would find myself not looking at the words. Um, I guess because I understand it, mm-hmm. what's happening, I don't know as I focus on the words as much. And also... Sometimes, if it's not people's native language, even if it is, the diction sometimes has to be stretched out. It's stretched out. Like if you're singing America, uh, English is worse for this because so many words we have, <laughs> like we, I, like all of those pull Dip your back in the throat. Yeah, and, you know. And, so Italian yeah. is much better because of the way it is. Oh, ah. Uh, yeah, those ooh. open vowels they have. Uh, French is the same thing. French works really great because every word is stressed the same in French. Mm. You know, so it's perfect for poetry and meter, right? Um, but I never, I was always so focused on the music when I would first hear mm-hmm. operas. And it was later that I would like, when actually sometimes I would lead libra- read the libretto and see what they were saying. And I'd be like, oh, mm. ew, okay, sure. You know, that yeah. I wasn't as impressed, you know, that it's like a lot of the same, like, our love is eternal over and over. And, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, okay, yeah. But it's the music that elevates it, yeah. you know, and it's the music that... Uh, find hearing voices entwined together, you know, and uh, love duets, um, you know, and then, like I said, that the the, the finale of Rosenkavalier, the to the final trio, uh, right after that, the Marshallin leaves, and then the two of them sing a, a lovely little duet at the very end that is so beautiful. And the music, they have the celeste playing, and the strings are high, and everything's beautiful and shimmery and mm. glorious, and you're like, oh, they're in love, you know. <laughs> Who knows if it'll last, but, you know, that's yeah. a different opera. So uh, so if you're seeing these operas, and let's say they don't have the screen where you're, you can read them, yeah, are you basically, I'm assuming you're going to be able to figure out pretty much what's happening, well, right? And that's where some of the... People will have stuff in the programs. A lot of places now will have either the titles, like, on the stage. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. On the stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where they actually have them, like, on the set. Yeah. A lot of times now, or above. Like projected onto the proscenium proscenium, or something? Yeah, if not, like actually on the set, which is the new way like to do it, to have it sort of be on the set somewhere around there, which is much better. Yeah, I think that's a lot better. Because instead of having to look up and down like that, it's like there in that range of looking at the stage. Um, Or on the seats, like they do at the Met Mm -hmm. and Santa Fe, which are great as well. Um, You know, I don't know... If you know the the plot or whatever, I think it it works out. If you can even just read the summary that's in the program, it works out. And a lot of times, it maybe you don't even want to know what's going on. I mean, I don't mean to be yeah. you know negative, but sometimes <laughs> it's best just to be like, this music was really pretty. Like as you and delve into the plot, you're like, boy, that's horrible. And you have a brain that can figure out like the overarching story of things. Yeah. So maybe you don't need to know the minutia of like that's her brother and <laughs> Yeah, and you can tell by the music someone's evil and has bad intentions. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. But again too, it's 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 in how you stage it as well, mm-hmm. you know, for today's audiences and have them understand it. But it again, there's so many different 
takes on how you can do opera directing. Mm-hmm. I guess I also never really asked, what. why do you like opera? I, I always forget to ask that one off the bat. It's, again, it, it gets, it's the fact that I was so blown away by the drama and the music mm-hmm. and realizing that you know, the, the music and how it is composed, that's what makes the drama, as opposed to the actors are, like, creating these emotions. Mm-hmm. The emotions there in the music, you just have to follow it. You know what yeah. I mean? And it, it's so different. But listening to it, I just became so enamored of the voices, you know? And there are certain sopranos that stay, like uh, Birgit Nilsson, famous Swedish soprano that I first heard sing Electra, And... Um, she is one of the divas that I adore. And even when she tries to sing something like, I could have danced all night mm-hmm. from My Fair Lady, and you're yeah. like, oh, girl, oh. You're like, oh, girl, yes. yes. You sing that. You're completely wrong for that, and I love you. Uh, like, you're you're the diva. I heard someone say this once, that the your diva of choice is the one that you love her flaws as much as you do what she does brilliantly. Oh. You know, that you embrace her flaws just as much as you embrace what she does oh, magnificently. I'm going to put on like, a pillow for Patrick. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> for me being his diva. <laughs> I presume. <laughs> I hope. So, um, That's why you oh, love. Uh, yeah, well, so I like hockey and I like opera. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I have started a libretto for an opera about hockey. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> and yes. uh, I call it Goli Demerung after Gute Demerung, which of course is Twilight of the Gods. So, um, I, Deep it, nerd. it is, it's <laughs> so, so horrible. It's, um, no, it's not horrible. It's what we need. I, I, I've changed it now. At first I didn't know how to end it. And then I thought, oh, well it doesn't have to end. They can, but I realized that an opera plot has to kind of like have a victor and, uh, you know, a loser. And, and that's how a hockey game does. Yeah. So the hardest part for me was like, I was writing about both of these teams. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see either lose because they both had reasons they wanted to win. Yeah. So I still think that maybe it can end without the game ending that, you know, no, I think, I think the final thing is no matter what I have won. Yeah. I think it's the final... As long as you have a few women die, just collapse on the side. Yeah, the fans from exhaustion. Yeah, from exhaustion, from just being too Um, overwrought with feelings towards the the players. (laughs) I I had at one point the... the, uh, I still have it, and I I was thinking about changing it to a woman, but it's the Lonely Zamboni Driver. So it's like, it's his aria about how no one cares about him, but he washes away the sins of the period and makes the ice fresh. And I was thinking about making that a woman. Please make it a woman. Please make that a lady. Yeah. I want to sing that. That sounds amazing. So it's it's nice because it's funny. Well, you know, everyone watches the Zamboni driver anyway, but you know, the they idea They watch the that, Zamboni. They don't yeah. care about the driver. driver. That's true, yeah. The lonely Zamboni driver that they want to no see one, the clean ice. They yep. want to see the the um, hypnotic movements, but swaying. Yes, but the, they don't care about who's driving. Yes, oh. yes, but it's but that's everything because it wipes the way the sins of the period. Oh, so, my God. so it's no matter like what, that, that's going to be amazing. I hope so, but I'm still trying to figure out how to end it, and I, I I've changed some stuff. But there's I have to find a composer now. You know, also that yeah. is interested in like, yes, I want to do your hockey opera take yeah. all this time to create that but there's great ensemble stuff people yelling and you know uh, yeah. uh, fans and then there's also the chorus of the uh, I have an offstage chorus of the mothers like <laughs> taking their son to hockey practice oh my heart yes so you know waiting for them and, yeah you know. but so obviously you can't do it at a rink 
You know, no. you have to sort of approximate that. Roller skates. Through, yeah, I don't know that I want. <laughs> not sure I want opera singers on roller skates. No? I don't, um, Do a Starlight Express sort of deal? Oh, gosh. The uh, training would be so difficult. A Zanz, not Zanzibar. Xanadu? Xanadu, <laughs> yes. Give it, that's give it a Xanadu. <laughs> Meyer Beer, who no one hears a lot anymore, those operas were very popular. I mean, he was the Andrew Lloyd Webber of Paris. Mm. And like, I mean, he was so popular. Um, there, his operas were grand spectacles. There's uh, a role, uh, um, an ice skating scene in one of them. Whoa. Yes, yes. Which, of course, they did, because you could just do that, apparently, at the Paris Opera. Well, sure. Yeah. You just... I don't know what one would just do to make an ice skating rink in a theater. Uh, I think it was like roller skate kind of maybe oh. sort of thing. But okay. I don't know. But they had to have a, a skating rink for the opera. Yeah, oh. I mean, so his operas were spectacles like, say, Cats or Starlight Express. Or yeah. Starlight Express. Express. Starlight <laughs> Express. <laughs> Answer me, yes, I don't want you to go. <laughs> no, thank you. No, you're sorry. a train. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am not emotionally... I like the cats, but I'm not emotionally into the train. The yeah. cats are cute and cuddly. Yeah. Well, except Grizabella. Well, she's just seen some shit, all right? She's been through a lot, people. We're all, in the end, we're all just Grizabellas holding on to that pavement. Wow. You know, that really brings it home. Thanks. Really. Sorry. I'll just collapse and die from nothing. Because that's what women do in opera. Or they're poisoned by bouquets. There's a poison bouquet of violets no! in Adriana Le Cavour. No! Uh, oh, uh, Monomezzi's uh, uh, L'Amore, The Love of Three Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, uh, father uh, leaves the woman, a woman out, like her corpse, with poison on her lips to trap her lover because he knows that he will come kiss her. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, but does he know she's dead? Uh, yes, but that's why he comes, he's, he, oh, okay. he's kissing her he's, dead body. Yeah, to say goodbye. And then he, yeah, yeah, to say goodbye. And of course the poison is on the lips from the dad sure. who's trying to trap him. Because that's when one does. Uh-huh. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, everyone would, I mean, opera would be really boring if everyone went to therapy, um, and like processed so. these feelings differently. <laughs> Funny you bring up therapy. I, I heard about a production of Carmen that is set as like, Don Jose is not this guy who kills Carmen. He's a guy who's going through therapy, and this is this elaborate situation they've set up to lead him through this therapy. Interesting. So, like, so he's not deep immersion. Just, yeah, yeah. So he's not just this, like, jackass who stabs her because he's jealous. Yeah. And in a rage. I mean, it's, he's working through these issues he may have with his own wife. Wow. Which is an interesting take on that, an interesting way to make it, her not a victim, even though she is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lucia just dies because she goes crazy and dies. Oh, bummer. Yeah, well, that happens. Ophelia. Yeah? Although she did drown, technically, I, I guess. I was going to say, she could, if we're, again, this is just Hamlet that I, is that yeah, what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she, she drowns herself. Yeah, well, but. she's just crazy. She hey nani nani's her way to death, she pretty much. <laughs> no one puts it quite like that, but <laughs> she ain't nani nani's her way to, to death. death. Oh, gosh. I didn't realize Kansas how... Remembrance. <laughs> <laughs> when Les Mis, everyone, the rain won't make the flowers, <laughs> and the pup grows up. <laughs> like, everyone gets to sing their last phrase and then die. Well, what's that song? Empty Chairs and Empty Tables, which yep. I just call All My Friends Are Dead, They're Dead. <laughs> yeah, Because that's really what it's about. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that. Again, Grisabella. <laughs> Gris- just hanging on. <laughs> Taking the tire up to the heavy side layer. Uh, I guess I forgot how dark operas and all these things are when I'm like, let's talk about something nice. Oh, this is fraught with peril. <laughs> I'm still I still think it's great. And I still I, think I love opera for all its flaws and all yeah. the ridiculousness of it and even if people park and bark, if they have a fantastic voice. Like, I've seen productions from the 70s where it's just the acting is really unimportant. Mm. But the voices are glorious. And yeah. and sometimes artistry happens in the weirdest places. I had a friend that, too, said, um, you go to every opera you can. It's like paying the rent. You never know when you go and it will be brilliant. Ah. But if you go and it's just so-so, well, that was paying the rent. you know. Yeah. But then you went and had a brilliant night. And uh, when Dwayne and I first went out, actually, first started dating... Uh, they were doing Carmen okay. uh, with Denise Graves, who is a famous soprano, American soprano, doing Carmen. And uh, so I had tickets, and then I got tickets to a different performance for him. So I went, the, I think, the third night, and it was, the tenor was pretty bad. I mm. went the final night with Dwayne, um, which was two nights later, and it was like a completely different tenor. He was amazing. And oh. I thought, wow, so he, his vo- vocal quality, something was wrong sick mm-hmm. or something recovering but this time it was like a, a different person and it was so lovely to hear um but just to be excited like oh yeah it's different and that was the other thing too when i was in zalame just to hear the difference in rehearsals the singers trying out new things mm-hmm. and that's actually become my favorite part of directing opera now yeah is the rehearsal process and hearing the singers develop and you know uh, of course they freak out about will they hit a high note but I mean that you know that's your yeah. biggest fear anyway. You know that's you're so exposed and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's the interesting part. Why has the composer exposed you on this high note at this moment? You know, what are you singing about? Yeah, there's a What are the emotions that. that you've gotten to to get you to this high note? You're not just singing a high note. There's something that's happened. You yeah. know, and that's what's fun to me as a director is to explore that. You know, it's funny on Twitter. Uh, I, I wrote for a site called Puck Buddies uh, for boys who like boys who like hockey. Okay. Uh, the the whole idea to me that you know I got online and my handle is opera hockey guy mm-hmm. you know and within like five minutes met three other people that were also big fans of hockey and opera oh and my goodness got to meet one of them actually in New York when we were in our New York trip awesome but uh, he went to see that Frau production mm-hmm. then when it was redone and he was like oh it's ruined me for opera and I'm like yeah it's pretty special. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's great. And I was so glad I actually got a chance to see it because I never thought I would in my life. I want to direct it so badly, and I doubt I ever will get a chance to. But You never know. You never know. Hi, anyone out there listening who's yeah. producing opera. Yeah. So. I Opera producers, I mean, just are, list, are tuning in, just like yeah. dinosaur experts when I was talking to Ryan and uh, uh, every, everybody I speak with. He is more obsessed <laughs> about dinosaurs than I am about opera, I think. I'm not sure, honey. <laughs> He knows a lot and he cares a lot, but you also, like, you could talk for, like you said, three and a half hours just about one opera. So, yeah. no, I think, I think you're, you, you match. Yeah. 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 It's so beautiful. I love it. I love watching people get excited about what they get excited about. And it's joyous, especially when it's something I'm not familiar with necessarily. It's, it's weird. Never in a million years would I have thought that now I'd be this, like, not wealth of knowledge, but I mean, I, I know I know a lot. And I know <laughs> Dwayne is always impressed when I turn on like the opera channel 
and within like three seconds know what it is, you know, yeah. and know where we are. That's the other thing too. Like the final opera in Wagner's Ring Cycle, Guter Demmerung, I know the third act of that like the back of my hand. It's mm. an amazing piece of music. I love it. I hear it all the time. But every time I hear it, I hear something different. And it's not just because it's a different orchestra or different singers. I mean, if I listen to the same recording, I will hear something different that Discovered I've not noticed. a new beautiful thing. Yeah, a, a new texture. Or like, oh, I didn't know the clarinet played there as well. You mm-hmm. know, things like that that you're like, oh, the clarinet took that melody then, you know. Or great, and the, so the lower strings are playing that. You know, you, you notice details that add to the whole shape of it. The thing about orchestration that's fantastic is that you have a whole world of sound mm-hmm. that you get to play with. And you create that sound. Is it is it frightening? Is it, you know, loud, soft? How loud? How soft? You know? And then also the instruments you use. You know, you all you lose low brass and cellos and basses. It will sound completely different than if you use like flutes and violins at the top of their ranges. You know, it's yeah. you create a different aura. You know, for lack of a better word, it's a sound aura, but it's a sound, it's oral at that point, <laughs> A-U-R-A-L, but it's it's this whole sound world that happens that I think affects us whether we understand it or not. And I think that's mm-hmm. the beauty of music is that people of all walks of life and ages will dance to Uptown Funk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That song comes out, mm-hmm. or Happy, people dance. Yeah. You know, and everyone loves that sort of music. It's the same with opera. It it affects you emotionally in a way that I don't think you really know, but you are affected by it. And 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 people singing um, like that, so exposed and raw, it's it, it's visceral. You know what I mean? It's a thrill you don't get because people are screaming in essence. You know, yeah. In in, in even heart. if they're singing soft, it's still supported. It's not just a you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's not just like you're being breathy and, you know, they, they yeah. enhance it in the studio. You are still producing a lot of volume to be heard over an orchestra, even at a tiny volume, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you for so much for, for sharing all of this. Is there anything else before we wrap up that you want to share? Any last thoughts or uh, parts of your journey that you want to share? I, I, so... Um, the guy who uh, announces on the Sirius Met channel, he's one of the commentators, his name's William Berger, and I befriended him on Facebook and Twitter. And oh my goodness, I'm so pleased. When we went up to New York, he gave us a tour of like, oh my goodness. the Met, yeah, and so we got to go on stage. and That's so cool. Yeah. But so he's, he's really great, but he told us this very funny story about Placido Domingo. Okay. Um, he said he like turned around in the corner, and there's Placido Domingo like at the elevator, like waiting for the elevator with his like like head against his hand, like leaning against the wall. Uh-oh. And he said, are you okay, Placido? And he just said, if you only knew how much of my life I spent waiting on these elevators. <laughs> if only you knew. No, yeah, you know, like, are you okay? And it's just like, oh, just these elevators. And they're very slow. They're notoriously slow. And they've been updated and they're still notoriously slow because the building was built in the 60s. <laughs> You know, and they're these large elevators that are meant to hold instruments and, yeah. you know, things like that. So, yeah, they take a, a long time. And it's it's just very funny that, but, you know, poor Placido after performance just wants to get up to his dressing room. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, I've waited for this so long. <laughs> you only know how much of my life I've spent waiting on these elevators. I just, I think that's a lovely story that, you know, this, this legend yeah. of opera who has sung so many different performances and is a brilliant artist. At the end of the day, it's just like, 
fucking elevator. I want to <laughs> you know, wash my face and, and go get put out on of my here. PJs. I'm so hungry <laughs> yeah. and I'm waiting on this goddamn elevator. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lovely, it really brings it down to you. I mean, we're all human and some people have amazing skills, but at the same time, we all have to wait on that goddamn elevator. Yeah. We're all Grizabella. We're all Grizabella. The That's, glamour cat. That- <laughs> Some more glamorous than others. When I direct Cat, she's going to have hairballs. Oh my God. (laughs) The front two zones will be the spit zone. (laughs) Eric is giving the most beautiful smile that goes like a ding, like that should be right next to it. Oh, why well, thank you so much for talking to me about opera. My pleasure. And and other things. And other things. Yeah. <laughs> and other things. Um, I learned a lot. I hope my listeners learned a lot. Even if you didn't, wasn't it fun? Um, I would like to invite you to my musical arm fart section. Oh, find right. the yes. find the music within your heart. And we shall begin ready and <laughs> Beautiful. That was a lovely duet. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Oh, yay. <laughs>